Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U, where there are no degrees because the learning never stops. I'm Dove, a TA here at Gooner U, and my friend Keith is our stalwart distinguished professor of Arsenal and Football Studies. This week featured Premier League matches number 15 and 16 at Kenilworth Road against Luton and at Villa Park against Aston Villa. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. That was, uh, that was some week, wasn't it? Yeah, some some week. That's that's about how I'd characterize it. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot going on, and I I obviously jinxed it by closing with us being at the top of the table, as we no longer are at the top of the table. Uh, but it's no. fine. It's fine for now. For now, it's fine. Still plenty of time to make it up. <laughs> not I'm not going to pay. Oh, and plenty of opportunities, but we'll deal with that later. Sure. So before we get into this week's events, uh, one question I'd intended to ask last week and then dropped the ball was, as, as I've mentioned before, I get, um, I, I managed to get myself on Arsenal's email list. And so every match day, I send an email with an overview of the team and some stats. They show your form and their form, stuff like that, or our form and their form. Um, it's, it's kind of funny seeing how many times we've played against each club too. Like, I think, Two weeks ago was our like fifth or sixth appearance against Lons before. Like that was kind of kind of funny, just <laughs> <laughs> compared to the the Premier League teams. It's, it's a lot, right? The, yeah, the like two hundred two hundred and second or something against right. uh, you know Manchester United. Yeah. Right. So so at the bottom of the Wolves match email match preview email. They use the phrase, it's match day in N5. And I had no idea whether that was a level of British intelligence or if it was a stadium or what it was. What is N5 referring to? So N5 is the uh, postal code for the area of North London. N stands for North and the, it's the N5 around uh, the Hi- the Highbury district, which is, I'm okay. not actually sure. I, I'd be curious to see. So, I mean, granted, you know, Professor Wikipedia's list here where it says N5 covers Highbury, uh, which is where the old stadium was. Now, the, the current stadium right. is officially in Holloway, which apparently is actually N7. Now, again, this is according to this Wikipedia page, which <laughs> I have no idea. I'm sure it's accurate. I just don't know where that means relatively the lines are drawn. Right. But I think that's just one of those old... Um, so there are old ways of referring to uh, or just a, another sort of a, like local coded reference like you'd hear, you know, the Yankees, you know, it's another day on 161st Street, um, you mm-hmm. know, kind of that local marker that somebody nearby would be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. OK. And yeah, that does not, to my eyes, resemble anything related to mail. So, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, I mean, it's a smaller yeah. country, so there's only so many only so many postal cards. Sure. So, meanwhile, there was some excitement in MLS this week, right? Uh, A little bit. Uh, They had just a bit. Uh, The end of the season, the MLS Cup was given out um, and won. I really should say they didn't just, you know, pick pick a winner. (laughs) The team won. Uh, The Columbus Crew win their third MLS Cup. They beat LAFC, the defending champs, 2-1. I did not see any of the game. I had other things going on on Saturday, but congrats to Columbus. (laughs) you know, L.A., I mean, it, certainly to, to have won the Cup last year and to come this close to coming back and winning it again. Plus, they went deep in uh, the CONCACAF Champions League. They had a couple of other long uh, spells in the season. They apparently played something like said something like 60 games this year. Played a massive number of games for an MLS team. So, um, hmm. you know, came up just a... You know, just a little short of... I don't think they actually... Officially, I think the only, tight, only thing they won this year was Western Conference Champions. Um, oh, okay. So didn't win the supporters' Which shield. Them in the cup competition. Well, no, no, yeah, the, right. The Western Conference title uh, didn't win supporters' shield. Didn't win. They lost the final of the Champions League. Uh, I think they lost the Campiones Cup as well. Didn't win the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, obviously, didn't win MLS Cup. But still, that's you know, it's kind of wild. It's uh, you know, Arsenal last year is not a fair comparison. We of course did not win anything. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's amazing how successful a season can, or rather. You know, if you define your success only by trophies, it's amazing how much success you can have over the course of a season to the extent that L.A. did and come away feeling like you didn't actually get anything out of it. So it's it's mm-hmm. it, it really is, I think, a, a good illustration of the old process versus results argument when it comes to, you know, it comes to sports. Is it the destination or the journey? And, you know, I, I have for many years had to enjoy the journeys of, of Arsenal because the destinations have been, uh, <laughs> been a bit lacking uh, 
fourth place trophy gets a little tiresome, but that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and uh, in other Arsenal news, I, I saw the women did very well against the much hyped Chelsea match that happened. They they won four one. So. Yes, a major result. Chelsea is one of the the top contenders for the league title. I believe that. I believe I, I have to look at the standings. They are, um, they, they are. I believe, I believe tied at the same record on top of the league. Um, so it's good. Chelsea are the defending champs. They're they're one of the the key competitors with Arsenal uh, at the top mm-hmm. of the uh, the women's super league. So uh, that's a big win. And it's exciting for them. Um, and they and they were in the Emirates and drew a not quite sold out, but still a massive crowd at the Emirates uh, for that game. So, uh, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> Nicely done, ladies. Um, drawing out before we talk about the, the week's matches a little bit more. Um, one kind of meta question about the week. Why did we have two Premier League matches in the same week? That was that was something I was wondering going into it, and, and especially I think I know the answer after seeing the weekend match and seeing the live table and seeing that we have the same number of matches played as everyone else. Was it just that the league did that because there was a break in Champions League and Europa League play or something? Or yeah, pretty much. So remember, they okay. have thirty eight games to get in, and of course they have a window of time between August and May to get them all in. You're going to lose a couple of weekends uh, due to the holidays, due to the FA, the first, uh, at least the third and fourth rounds of the FA Cup. There's a couple of other uh, points in the season where you're going to lose games. And so there is a push at various points to double up on weeks to make sure you squeeze every game in so you can fit them all through. And this one we can tell was planned because everybody played both a midweek game and a weekend game. So there yeah. was a lot uh, filling in that space. And right now, as we said, yeah, everybody's on the same number of games. Uh, which makes the table a little bit nicer to read. As you know, it's going to get a little weirder by the time we get to like Mar, you know, March uh, and February for reasons we've talked about. Uh, but yeah, let's we'll start to see that. Yeah. So we we opened the week with a, a fun match to watch against Luton, and, and fun in a totally different way than our our previous fun match where we won six nil. This was a different kind of fun. This was a scrappy fun. <laughs> Uh, fun is an interesting word for it. First off, uh, welcome to Kenilworth Road. Um, <laughs> I mean, your front row seat, it does feel like, feel like, even on the camera, really, you're really kind of, yeah. kind of in there. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about how a lot of the newly promoted sides had, they've been struggling, their, their favorites to go down. I think that's still largely true, but, but Luton is one that's actually really sort of settled into their season and really kind of, um, made themselves, a bit more of a nuisance, particularly at home. I, they they already have a uh, it's a three three draw with Liverpool. I'm uh, sorry, one one draw with Liverpool. Excuse me, uh, at that ground uh, back in the beginning of November, about a month before our game. So they, that is a mm. that is not an easy place to go. Um, and so you know to eventually have pulled off the win is nice, but uh, yeah, it took a took a bit of a winding road to get there. When I say it's fun, I mean, it's like, it's not a game you tune out of, right? Like, I was actively engaged the whole time. They were a strong side. They were, to me at least, an unexpectedly strong side. They mm-hmm. really put up a good fight. And we we had a pretty good showing, too. I think, you know, we connected a lot more clearly than we did against Aston Villa. Although, maybe we ended up actually possibly overall with more chances, I feel like, against Aston Villa. But, um yeah, it was it was good. It was it was a good outing, and then I mean, you know, the way that it ended, uh, you can't can't beat that. And it's becoming your signature. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a game, and so so first off, I should I should break down by sort of explaining how I watch this game. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I prefer to watch games live, and uh, this was in the middle of the day on a on a school day, so I was a little busy for much of the game. But you know, checking phone here and there, I saw. That we had an early lead, one nil. All right, nice, good. I uh, checked a little bit later. Saw it was saw it was one one. It's like yeah. okay, all right. You know these things happen. Yeah. And then saw uh, right before you know checked it right around halftime and saw it was two one. Okay, okay. Yeah. Got a little busy, <laughs> packed up, went home. I get home. I flipped on right after the Havertz goal, and the score pops up and it's three three. And I'm just thinking. What the heck happens? 
I mean, there are other words I kind of used uh, that I can't use on the show, but it was more like, <laughs> what? Wait, three, three, what is, ha- what yeah. is happening? Um, yeah. It's kind of one of those, and again, of course, I'm getting kind of bits and pieces of how the game is played out, and then, of course, watching ultimately what ends up being about the last half hour or so. Um, it um, it's a, it's an interesting game the way you talk about the number of chances. You know, I, I, I see a little a lot of the statistics of the game. And it's it really the statistics of the game and the scoreline tell two different stories because statistically in this game we ran them off the field. I mean, we were a dominant team, and the word I used, heard a word I heard used a little bit in the aftermath, especially coming to the end, was you know they were it was you know we were talking about the Avengers a little earlier. You know, our, it's the it's it's the Thanos joke. The arsenal is inevitable that they just <laughs> kept coming and coming and coming, and finally, I mean, for Luton to defend as as much as they did, I mean, that entire last half hour was played almost entirely in their end. Mm-hmm. And to defend, 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 and at the at the such at the last minute, they finally broke. Just the pressure was was just too much in the end, and um, you know, the, it, so statistically, look at this game and thinking, how do we not win this one? Like, how, how is this not like four one? How is mm-hmm. this? And then you you see some of the opportunities they got, and to be fair, they took their chances. Uh, Luton played very physically. Uh, which is the, which you know is is a legitimate strategy. There's mm-hmm. a, phys- a certain amount of physicality. They they talk historically what they call the rainy night in Stoke. Um, you're you you're too new of a fan to remember Stoke City, um, whose very name is almost something of a punchline, uh, mm-hmm. even amongst longtime uh, fans of the sport. That it's a uh, I, just a a physical side and, and one of those that we we sort of talked about this in other contexts, right? There are certain teams that are really physical that almost seem to be allowed to get away with it. Hmm. Like, kind of the expectation is they can't really do anything else than that. So, well, they're going to kick you a few times. Just got to kind of work <laughs> your way through that. And that's and obviously very frustrating for all the reasons you can imagine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, by the time I got on, I hadn't seen a lot of that. By the time I came on, I know several change, a couple of the changes have been made. At that point, you know, Arsenal had all the pressure on them. Um, but the important thing for Luton's perspective is they got a handful of opportunities and they were able to really um, to, to really take advantage of them. I mean, you actually saw the goals live. Uh, I think about the Luton ones. What did you what did you well, think in these instances? So, for one thing, well, and and I will answer your question. I do want to find out is is Stoke City an actual place or is it allegorical? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a, it was a real. They were in the league um, about a decade ago. So that um, was the name of a team. Or? Yes, S T O K E Stoke. Right. Yeah, okay, that's just City. the way that they played. Yeah, so, you, okay. know, uh, you know that was the the stokiest goal and that and things <laughs> like that. Yeah, okay. Their name their name becomes becomes the adjective. Right. Okay. So, anyways, so yeah, I mean, to begin with, two out of their three goals were from corner kicks, and at least, and I think actually, uh, uh, two out of their three goals, I think, with an overlap of one, were Raya goofs that allowed the goal to go in. So you had the one where we saw the consequence of missing across when he goes to catch it and he was muscled out of position and it landed on the ground and there was, or no, I think it got headed in by the guy who muscled him out of position. There was no one there to stop it. So that Mm -hmm. one went in and then you had another one where it kind of went underneath his side as he fell on the ground. It really felt like that was one he should have been able to get and didn't. Yeah. um, I mean, looking at the, looking at the, the, the corner kick goals, I mean, for for a team like Luton that's going to be coming from behind and needs those opportunities, I uh, you know corner kicks are great opportunities because they're probably more likely to get the ball into bo- into the box to be able to play it in a way they probably can't do through open play through the sure. open run. And so for for them to have that kind of opportunity, you know, it, that's a dangerous moment for us in these kinds of games in particular because they're going to have so few opportunities. Uh, by and large, we've overall been very good at dealing with set pieces, especially corners. It, it, it's kind of one of those things where when you give up a goal on a corner, it's easy to it's easy to focus on all the times you failed, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, how we always give up goals on corners. Our, our corner record is actually pretty good overall, mm. especially relative to the other teams in the league. But this was not good. 
This one was no. not very. This was <laughs> not a very good set of set of games, set of circumstances, and so that's not you know that. But it's you know frustrating. And then you saw there, yeah, you know Raya. You know, I I, I don't. I don't want to go nuts on goaltending in terms of evaluating every each of them game by game. Obviously, sure. we're critical of Ramsdale and all that. And I, you know, there's always going to be a certain degree of comparison. Although, I mean, I think it's obvious that David Rye is the number one. There's no real competition. Yeah, no, there. definitely. Yeah, and so you know, get criticism of him is not you know saying aha Ramsdale should start. No. Uh, but yeah, he 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 goofed on at least two of those. He he deserves some criticism for. Missing that one, that the corner, that was the, uh, was that the first goal, I think? Yeah, I believe and, that was, yeah. And then, uh, and then frankly, the, their third one, the goal, that goal there, um, it was interesting. So I, the, I, the bits I caught were through, through Peacock and, uh, Tim Howard was, uh, in the studio there. And Howard, it was a, uh, did you watch this one live? I'm trying to- uh, Luton, I did not watch live because I was, I was at work in the city that day actually mm-hmm. and pretty, beat by the time I got home <laughs> and I watched the replay the next day, but I think I watched the whole replay at one stretch mm-hmm. or maybe in only a couple sittings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so uh, the analysis actually in one of the analysts, there was Tim Howard who played, uh, who was a keeper for the U S national team among others for a number of years, was at Everton for a bunch of years. Uh, was pretty well regarded there. Um, so a guy who knows goaltending, uh, yeah. knows goalkeeping. Um, and he was very critical of Raya on the, especially on that third goal. He talked about his positioning. I think he said something like Raya's not set forward. He's kind of leaning back a little bit. And so he's not in a position to handle the ball. I think you're right. I think you made that comment. He, he kind of, kind of goofs into the ball. He probably should stop. He doesn't do a particularly good, a particularly good job on, on handling right. that opportunity. Um, but yeah, they were, uh, you know, it, it, it is a credit to Arsenal that, you know they they took those they took those punches so to speak, and they never they never folded they never backed nope. down there was just a constant pressure and yeah you get to those last thirty minutes and they just basically laid siege to the to the Luton goal. Mm-hmm. I I just uh, consulted with the highlights and knows <laughs> the second one was the one that he missed the, okay. the first header he didn't have a chance it was like into the top corner and. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely the one goal that you can't play Raya for realistically. Yeah. So. Right? Yeah, I knew there were the two corner ones. I just never remember which yep. was which. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I noted throughout the match, Jesus was having a very strong day. It just felt inevitable he was going to score. He just kept on coming at them over and over again. And I think he only scored one directly, but he contributed to another. I think by by when all was said and done, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was it was a strong it was a strong showing, and I think ultimately not not really that much better than against Aston Villa. It's just they converted the chances. They they got like a comparable number of chances. They just converted them better in this match. Yeah, and we'll talk more about the Villa the Villa game, but yeah, I think in a little bit. But yeah, they really convert they converted their opportunities, um, and I think I think they generated more and more dangerous ones in this game. Um, yeah. And some of that's just a goal from quality. Luton is battling relegation. Villa now currently sits third. I mean, that, that's a right. huge difference oh, sure. uh, to, to you know, in terms of how, the, in terms of where they're going to be and some of the, the abilities that they bring to the field and sort of things they've done. Um, you know, I, I mean, strange point of comparison, Luton and Villa both had essentially reversed the same schedule. Luton played uh, Arsenal midweek and then Manchester City on the weekend. Uh, Villa played Manchester City midweek and then Arsenal on the weekend. Oh, okay. So an interesting, <laughs> interesting set of interesting week for the two those two teams. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I thought um, you know there I did think there was greater pressure and a lot more danger uh, from the chances we created and overall just more of them even in that stretch. Just looking at that last half hour, mm-hmm. uh, but I but I have to be honest as we were as we were ticking in towards stop it into stoppage time, you sort of get that feeling that I've you know and it's it's hard not to get that feeling at points where you just sort of say to yourself I just I just don't think they're going to get it I just don't think they're going to do yeah. it because it's hard it's hard to score a goal um, well and especially once you get beyond the minimum stoppage time you really just get to feel like. I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there were clear instances, and we saw it also in the in the Villa game as well. You know, the the, the referees are watching the clock, and yes, oh, you yeah. have an you have you know five five minutes of stoppage time or whatever it is. If if 
if they feel the other team is time wasting during stoppage time, which happens, they'll add the time. The referee oh, yeah. is, has remember they remember when they make the announcement, it is a minimum of that much stoppage time. But they right. need to add more. They will, and and overall, we'll have plenty of things to say about the referees, but. Overall, I think that's something they're generally very good at, um, mm-hmm. and there, which does make the instances where it doesn't happen stand out. And you're like, <laughs> but for overall, mm-hmm. and I thought that was, and I thought that was right here that they did. You know, they they added that time, added that time, and you know, and and finally, 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 you get a, you know service from Odegaard and Declan Rice with just a just a perfect header. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the technique-wise with headers, and I don't know, maybe you as someone who tries to tries to goalkeep can, can speak to this. Generally, one of the things they say to do is it's better to take, head the ball downward because of the keeper that can sometimes be a more difficult ball to reach. Yeah, it, at my level of play, I'm not seeing a whole lot of headers coming my way, so I can't really speak to that so much. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's uh, I, I can imagine that. That sounds, mm-hmm. that sounds reasonable. Um, I mean, yeah, just given the timing of it, it's it's really as close as you can possibly get in a soccer match to a buzzer beater, right? Because there is no buzzer, but he blew the whistle while they were still celebrating. <laughs> yeah, or I think I think they so, technically came back on for a little bit, but yeah, I mean, it, it's similar. They? I thought I thought it was during the celebration, but am I maybe? Yeah, wrong. But I, well, I, I, but I think I think probably the the comparison, the only comparison I can think of immediately is is uh, last season with um, when. Uh, Reese Nelson scored. Was that Brentford when, yeah. we, when we won in the you know at the death uh, the rally from two nil down again that same kind of thing, um, just you know just a just a, a, a just an incredible moment. And again, you know it, it, uh, all the things people are saying about Declan Rice, um, you know he a bargain at one at one oh five million. Uh, you know we should pay <laughs> we should pay West Ham more. Um, it. it, it it's incredible how he feels like he's just been here the entire time. Yeah. Like he fits so seamlessly into the club and how he just um how he just fits so seamlessly into the club and and what, you know, fits his place and and is going to presumably as he gets a little more comfortable, you know, there's a there's definitely a big leap for joining a new team between the first and the second seasons as he gets much more comfortable and his role becomes much better defined. And sure. imagine you know, there's almost another level he can find, and yeah, he doesn't score a lot of goals. But I mean, you think about it—he scored. I think he's scored twice for Arsenal. It's, it was this goal, and then the winner late against United. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, when it counts, yeah, <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> you know, that's and 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 credit here too to, to Martin Odegaard, who's who you know after all of that in the game, and and I think he's been coming around a little bit. We talked about that he had a rough stretch there, especially I think coming back from that. Uh, that October international break, we talked about maybe he was yeah. had a little niggling injury left over from the city game, and it kind of you know, clearly was a little sluggish and clearly not himself. Um, you know, Trossard was was useful. Um, just there's just a lot coming off the bench. There's just a lot of uh, and they talked a bit about because I, I, I didn't see as much of it to say. They said Zinchenko was a big add that when he came off the bench, they sort of added an extra dimension. And you know, to have all those attacking options on the bench, you really I think. You know, we, we were we were set up nicely there to put that extra pressure on them at the end of the game. Oh, right. No, and you could definitely tell when you saw who was being subbed in what what he was thinking, what Arteta was thinking, because mm-hmm. you know he he was there on on the touchline for this match. So, yeah, and there and there is no, you know, it, it, there there is. It, am I trying to say this? He. Like at that point in the game, there's no downside to going for like you know. We're level on the road against uh, against a relegation battling team. Like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's let's put the pedal to the metal. Uh, the handbrake off, as they say. Let's take the handbrake off. Mm-hmm. Not that we ever played with it, but really, re- like, w- let's win this thing. Like, enough enough is enough. We should have won this game a long time ago. Let's finish <laughs> them off. Right. Uh, and they, you know, took took to the end, but they finally did, and everyone was excited, including Mikel Arteta, who. Uh, picked up a yellow card for his celebrations. Uh, yeah, I did not know about that until the next match. I so. I thought that I I mean I was watching. Of course, at a certain point, you're not really paying attention. Just kind of like right, you know, just running just around my place, going like yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not really paying. I don't recall hearing or seeing that anywhere in there. But yeah, then of course, either it was later in the day or the next day. Is like oh. 
By the way, yeah. Arteta was yellow carded, and he is going to miss the next game. He is going to be yep. uh, not on the sidelines for the next game. Yeah, so let's put a pin in that while mm-hmm. we talk about something tasty and hydrating. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I am talking about liquid IV. So liquid IV is something that I use when I'm all sweaty from sports. It's something that uh, I've started to prefer as my main sports drink where I sometimes don't even use it until I'm home from typically my son's practices or the most recent things as I've been battling injuries. I have not laid my foot to a size five soccer ball in a while, (laughs) but, um, but I get home, toss a packet of uh, liquid IV, a stick, they call it into uh, yay size, bottle of water, about 16 ounces, they say, and it tastes good and I don't feel thirsty anymore. So that is, of course, because Liquid IV is the category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being and their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than with water alone. You can use it first thing in the morning before a workout when you feel run down after a long night out and on long flights. One stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. And they partner with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in over 50 countries around the world. So I love that it tastes great without an aftertaste. It's very convenient because you don't need a big bottle of liquid. You just chuck the little stick in your bag. And uh, I've got some new flavors that I'm anxious to try out once I uh, once I have the opportunity, once I have the need. Uh, for now, my favorite is still strawberry lemonade, but we'll see if that holds. So if that sounds good to you, if you want to up your hydration game, get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GOONER at checkout. That is G-O-O-N-E-R for 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GOONER at liquidiv.com. There's also a link in the show notes or description to make it easier for you. Shop Better Hydration at Liquid IV. So, Aston Villa. Aston Villa. Um, so we, we should also add, uh, there's, there are a lot of subplots to this game. Yeah. You know, part of what makes sports fun is the narrative, right? You know, the story that it brings into it. Uh, first, I, I, I'm sure you saw many, many shots on the sideline there of, uh, the Aston Villa, Villa manager, Unai Emery. Um, uh, did, did, I mean, I, I assume you caught over there his, his connection to Arsenal. I'm sure we mentioned it. Oh, um, no, I don't remember. And I missed the first like five minutes of this match. Uh. So, <laughs> well, so, so Emery from, uh, the, I believe it was, uh, 2018 until about a year and a half from 2018, 19 and the first half of the 1920 season, uh, was the manager at Arsenal. Okay. Uh, he was the man who succeeded Arsene Wenger. Um, an interesting figure. He is obviously Spanish. He's actually Basque, much like uh, much like Mikel Arteta. Um, Emery came in was a manager at Arsenal for effectively a season and a half. Um, coming into an Arsenal team that uh, was down in the Europa League and feeling a little, you know, like this was uh, you know sort of an end of an era, a period of transition. Uh, came from Seville, uh, from Sevilla, where he had won the Europa League uh, several times. He's so we talked about Sevilla as sort of the. The, the the great Europa League club yeah, in a lot of ways he started that there okay. uh, it, it's a very okay. recent sort of sort of thing for yeah. them um, but he sort of started that you know the idea being okay he's won this cup I mean he's a decent he's a decent manager in Spain comes to the Premier League he'll win a few games uh he'll win us the Europa League more importantly we can get back into the Champions League quickly get that you know the money in there for helping us out financially um and you know we went to the Champions League fi- or excuse me the Europa League final where they were completely outclassed by Chelsea, um, which was a little disappointing. And down the stretch in the Premier League, Arsenal um, did kind of choke away a a Champions League spot and finished in fifth. Hmm. A couple of really embarrassing losses in the late stage. But you could sort of talk yourself into, all right, we're almost there, add a couple of players, make some changes. You know, we're almost there. And the start of the 19th season was, was rough. There were some... Uh, there was discontent, uh, some discontent, so a lot of it on the players, a number of players that have, you know, since been sent away uh, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, Emery sort of lost control of the locker room. The club went on a bad run of form, and he was out. Uh, and his replacement, uh, well, after a couple of uh, interim games under Freddie Yunberg, Arsenal, a former Arsenal legend, Freddie Yunberg, 
Um, then, of course, came in Mikel Arteta and sort of the beginning of the current uh, version of Arsenal. Okay. Uh, was sort of the groundwork was laid there. So, so Emery's something of an interesting figure sitting between, of course, the great Arsene Wenger and so the new greatness, uh, potential, possible, hopeful greatness under, under Arteta. I mean, on the one hand, he was given nearly an impossible job of trying to replace a legendary manager. And the club was in substantial sort of behind-the-scenes turmoil. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, there were some difficulties he had, mistakes he made, things he didn't do well. You know, he's not in, he's not entirely the author of his own fate, but he played a pretty strong role in it. And so, um, you know, it, 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 there's a certain vindication for him. He left Arsenal, uh, ended up getting picked up by Villarreal in Spain, uh, then proceeded to win the Europa League with Villarreal. Uh, and then came back last year after Villa fired uh, Steven Gerrard came in and, you know, really they looked good in the back half of last season and have since looked pretty good uh, in this season uh, up to uh, before us. We said they played Manchester City in, in midweek at Villa Park. Uh, not only did they beat Manchester City, they apparently dominated that game in a way that Manchester City rarely gets teams rarely play that you know that rarely that's what city mm-hmm. does to them it's right. not rarely something that actually happens to them and they're you know under under pep and all of that so this is a team that i think is unbeaten at home uh i think i said won every home game this year so there's a lot of they, they are running high they're running very well uh this season and i think for about the first 10 minutes yeah wow they looked like it Right. They started off super strong. That was when they produced their single goal. We were super strong compared to them, at least. The whole rest of the match, we pretty much put them on their back foot for definitely the second half of the first half, the back Mm -hmm. half of the first half. And then the second half, I think it was pretty much more of a same. It was just unfortunate. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe fortune isn't (laughs) a sufficient explanation, but it it stunk. <laughs> we weren't able yeah. to those better, right? And and I think yeah, as we talked about, I mean, I don't think we were quite as dangerous as we were in the in the Luton game. One of the things Villa Villa does or did very well is they played a very hard line. You notice we were caught offside several times. Okay, Some of that yeah. was part of their their tactical plan was to keep the defensive players high in a high line, and they did it to City as well. And you know, how, how well is that going to last over the course of a season where everybody's pouring over a video and looking for little advantages? Eh, probably not. It'll eventually probably catch up to them. It's not the it's not the most advanced tactic in the world, the offside right. trap. But it is one that, and, and I heard this pointed out somewhere, or Reddit, maybe Reddit pointed out, it's not something you see a lot of teams doing these days because so many of them, especially teams that Arsenal are playing Arsenal, are, we see them sitting back and absorbing pressure, draw, you know, packing men behind the ball, parking the bus, so to speak. Rarely do you see a team like being more willing to press that high up the field and keep their defenders so high up the field that if you time your runs right, it opens up a lot of space and there's a lot of danger there. But because they're do, they do such a good job of holding their lines, you know, there were times, especially even in those, those first half, even as we were putting on pressure and generating chances, we were sometimes just a, a touch or a step a touch too slow or a step too quick, and that's how you wind up offside. I, you know, I was you're frustrated when the flag goes up, but I, I think all the all the offside calls look correct to me. There were maybe one mm. I was like, "Ooh, I want to look at that," but then you show the replay and you go, "Oh no, 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 no!" Yeah, and uh, there is at least one or two where I called it offside in real mm-hmm. time. Also, yeah, it's funny you mentioned the timing just being off by a step or two, also because that also contributed to not converting some opportunities. Also, where I remember an early one with Saka, but it happened time and again in this match where they just didn't get to the ball in enough time, or just overshot the ball by just a uh, just enough that it got squandered. You know. Yeah, and and they did a good job. Our, our, well, Villa did a good job too. We had a couple of opportunities. We got into the box. What you saw, it 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 felt it, in real time. It feels like there's a hesitation to pull the trigger. You know, you see Odegaard like shoot, don't take another step, shoot. But yeah. then you get a, a second angle. You look behind. You realize the Villa players have done a good job getting in right. his, his space, and so he has to keep moving to try and find a, a clear look on goal. And even then, a bunch of those got blocked as well. Mm. And I think the unfortunate thing is so many of our better chances, you finally work so hard to get a shot. And the shots we put in on Martinez were 
Like I don't think he had. I, I I can't say you can't say a guy with a clean sheet had a bad game, but I didn't see anything Martinez did that I came away from it going, man, he was so tough to beat today. It just it felt like we were. Yeah, you know, wasteful. He, he, was, he did what he needed to do, and of course, he he heroically took a boot to the face from a teammate <laughs> and, and played on. But uh, they, I saw him putting Vaseline on his face. I guess that's uh, what you do just to seal it off until the match is over when you're so late in the match to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he, I'm sure he'll take all of that to you know having a, a goal from a ball rebound off the back of his head. So you know, right. <laughs> But yeah, I, that I think is really the. I, I felt like even though we got some more chances, even in the second half, I felt like the first half was really the opportunity. Like I think Odegaard and one just went wide. There were a couple of plays that just sort of missed wide, and you're thinking, mm, mm. "Oh, that was the one." And if they get that one, maybe go into the half one-one. I think that I think it's a, a. I wouldn't say it's a very different game in the second half, but I think the fact that it's one-one and Villa may have to think about being more open. I think might have provided us with a few more opportunities and we were playing well mm. the scored, but we didn't get the goal. And so we had to come out the second half, but you know, yeah, more I mean, of the same. There were a lot of yellows given out in this match more, mm. more than in recent memory, which is interesting. Usually you expect that more with the team that's kind of lower down where that's maybe the only tool <laughs> they can rely on or something, yeah. but you don't see that. I haven't seen that as much, at least uh, towards these uh, in these toward the top of the table battles. I mean, there was a there was a bite to it. Villa definitely was not afraid to to throw their weight around a little bit, and I thought we handled that part fine. I didn't think we did. Uh, I you know I, I thought we handled it well. I mean, again, anytime the yellows start coming out, it's you know. It, it, I mean, you understand the referee's trying to get control of the match, and and I think you know it, by and large, I didn't have a huge issue with too many of them. But you know, obviously, you start to get a little you know you. Once someone gets a yellow card, and now any time one of their players does anything, it's just referee. <laughs> uh, and you, you know, everybody does the the card, you know, the card symbol, the card sign. <laughs> yeah. um, so that gets that gets kind of frustrating. Uh, but I mean, overall, I thought you know there are going to be some controversial. There were some controversial moments, but um, yeah. Well, but, over, so, but over, yeah, the yellows coming out was was understandable given the way the game was going. Yeah, no, I don't think any of them were unwarranted. It was just, yeah, it was, it was a physical game. Um, I missed what resulted in Zinchenko's yellow card in the first half. Do you recall what happened there? I, I believe that was a, uh, a a tactical shirt pull that he was very clearly. It was one of those like, okay. oh, that looks kind of soft. And you see the replay, and the guy's shirt is like. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you get you know you can yeah. see they get the full ex- the super slow one right. like the full extension. You're like, okay, okay, okay. and again, I think they were. I think it was in in the service of stopping up or breaking up an attack, and so I mean, yeah, okay, take that yellow, take the yellow. Mm-hmm. That's the right. That's the Sincheco does the right thing there. Takes the yellow, breaks up the attack, lets them come back. Villa will feel aggrieved, but I don't care. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, that's what the yellow is for. And I think we got a, a similar, I think we had a similar one along the way that like, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a, you know, of course it happens and you're like, yeah! <laughs> but we got, um, but yeah, we got, we got the same thing there. So that was, that was in right. yellow. And there were a couple, there were one or two more of those in this game too. Right. Before we leave the topic of yellow card. So when I saw Arteta was not on the touchline, hmm. um, I at first thought about, again, not seeing him get the yellow card at the end of a Luton Town match. I thought it was because of what we were talking about, where they were talking of giving him a touchline ban due to speaking out about the officiation. Mm-hmm. So that didn't happen. This was just yellow card accumulation. Right. So that's still a potential happening later on, or have they come down on it the other way yet? Uh, no, that's, that is kind of an odd thing. There has been no announcement about that. You're right. So there's two, there's two sort of circumstances here. One of course is the, I guess we call it an excessive celebration yellow. I guess he left his box, which is, is one of those frustrating cards hmm. to see because there are plenty of managers, you know, in that circumstance, or even in goals of somewhat lesser, somewhat slightly lesser circumstances, who you see like running the length of the pitch to celebrate, and and it like, like to me that's a stupid yellow, like that you know yeah. like fine guy you know let that guy celebrate a little bit you know that is, even even a manager like if you can't, and I think it was I think it was I want to say it was maybe might have been born this manager they or maybe Brentford's manager whoever he played recently um 
that he was asked about, you know, Arsenal celebrating, and he respond his response was basically, "Of course they're celebrating. They scored a goal. Like why? Why is it? Why? What? What is this such a big deal? <laughs> they scored um, like a key goal at the last possible second. I mean, yeah, they, right. It, it, an excessive goal deserves excessive celebration. <laughs> but 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 even beyond that, right. and obviously even beyond that, I, well, yeah. well, yeah, but but even beyond that, what frustrates me is we've seen plenty of you know managers run around. We've seen Arteta run around sometimes at mm-hmm. critical game and not get carded for that. And so that's just kind of you know there amongst Arsenal fans, there is a sense that you know Arteta and Arsenal are being targeted by the referees. I don't know if that's quite true. I try to avoid conspiracy theories of that sort of thing, but it's, a, it's mm. you know, as we are still, for, for reasons that are thoroughly unclear to me, as we are still, like, it, it, I don't know what the league is waiting for. Like, if, he, if it's going to be a fine, yeah. assess the fine. If he's going to be suspended, suspend him. But w- what are we doing? Right, that's weird. And that was, that was, I mean, that, Newcastle was a month ago? Like, yeah. I, you know. Uh, again, my point of comparison are American sports, which again, it's a different environment, different things. But if somebody is suspended, including coaches, they're suspended. Now you right. can appeal and then they'll have a hearing. And sometimes that delays at a couple of days, maybe a week, because you have to, you know, find a time. Nowadays it's easy because you just get a Zoom call, but someone has to go to the league office and they plead their case and they talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that might take a few days. You need, somebody needs an off day, that sort of thing. But, but now, like, it's been a month. Like, how do you not? What? What are you? What exactly are they waiting for? I don't understand. Yeah. That that makes that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, That's weird. Yeah, it's just a. It's a, yeah. So I guess apparently there is still a decision to be made on that. Uh, maybe a fine. Maybe something else. Um, it would be very frustrating and would feed conspiracy theories further if Arteta, if a decision comes out and Arteta would be suspended, not for our next Premier League game uh, next weekend against Brighton, but for the following one when we go to Anfield. I mean, ah. you, I mean, once you start delaying it, you open yourself up to this kind of uh, these kind of right. accusations, no, yeah. which, is, which is maybe unfair to the league, you know, that to, I, I, again, the one thing you really can't do is, I, you know, one thing you really shouldn't do is sort of question the integrity of the event because, of course, that's sort of like, I watch this because I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I watch because I think Arsenal could win, but I don't know. I have to see them play it out. And, and this is why, to be fair, for the league's perspective, this is why they're always so, like, they're very, they get very stringent on, you know, this kind of commentary from, from, um, from coaches or from players or things like that. Because the one thing that, that one, the one thing that you cannot question is the integrity of the competition. Everyone watching has to be able to believe that it's real. Mm-hmm. And I say believe like it's not true. It's true. It's real. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is, you know, that is what's happening. It is real competition. But as soon as you lose that sense or somebody tries to say that's not the sense. Right. That's a problem. And so that I understand why leagues are very, especially more and more and more these days as, as gambling becomes even more central especially in the United States, okay, but maybe yeah. more so even in, in Britain as well. So <clears throat> on the topic of excessive celebration, one, one question <laughs> that I had, and this actually pertains to the Luton match, but um, going back, my first exposure to this phenomenon was during World Cup last year mm-hmm. when you would see after a key goal or after a big win of a match, you'd see the players stripping off their shirts and they'd talk Mm -hmm. about, and I think we even saw some yellow cards given out for that. Um, If not Mm -hmm. red cards, I think definitely at least yellow cards. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just seemed like such a silly thing for them to do in the first place. And then especially when the match is already over to give a yellow card for it. Although there are players who I did see do it in, Mm -hmm. and just after a goal in the middle of the match too. Um, where and when did that practice start? And especially, like, it seems like it isn't really a thing so much in the Premier League. What got me asking about this is seeing Declan Rice take his jersey off after he scored that spectacular header at the end of a Luton Town match. Yeah, so after so the, the whistle was blown there, too, yeah. Well, so, so I mean, taking the shirt off after the goal is a, you know, a celebration that's been around for a while, and that has been, and this is like, I mean, a decade or so ago. This is not a new rule, but basically for the, to curb certain kinds of excessive celebration, partly for time-wasting, but also for a certain sense of sportsmanship, taking your shirt off is an automatic yellow. 
Right. And it's one of those things that everybody knows that's true. Like this has been a rule for long enough that everybody just knows that that's the rule. Um, there's a rather silly, a rather silly thing going around. Uh, last year, uh, Richarlison, the Brazilian striker who played uh, last year, was was sold and played for Tottenham. Still plays for Tottenham, actually. Um, yeah, apparently, when that's his thing, when he scores a goal, he takes off his shirt. What's funny is he apparently scored, he scored a couple of goals last year that were ruled off for offside, but he had already taken off his shirt. Oh, well, no. Guess what? Yellow. So there was a joke floating around that he had actually accumulated, and I believe statistically this was true, had accumulated more yellow cards than goals last year for Tottenham. So, uh, ah, Spurs. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, but, but one of the things you'll also see is a lot of guys, you know, taking the shirts off post game. I thought an interesting thing I saw in some notes, I was thinking like the shirt trading. So you will see, you won't see it as much in the in league games, but you see a lot in, more in internationals. Guys, you know, sort of a just sort of a, a sign of respect after the game. You know, you take the shirt off, especially if you and you you and another guy have been going at it all game. Sort of as a sign of sportsmanship, you trade shirts. You know, hmm. you know, you shake hands and trade shirts. You see a lot of times guys want to do shirt trades, like like Messi. Every time they play, every time Messi plays a game, there are guys going up to him and trying to trade shirts with him. And you know, he can be particular. There are some guys who like. Sort of, you know, they, they have collections of the shirts they get from different clubs or different players. Um, you know, there are some guys who are really, some players are really into that sort of thing, kind of like mm. they collect, you know, big other big name players for them other than themselves. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, in terms of like taking the shirt off, I mean, obviously, once the, you know, w- once the whistle goes, the game's over, so you can do whatever you want. Uh, but obviously, it, it, once you score, uh, it is a yellow for taking your shirt off. Okay. Well, that explains because Declan Rice clearly didn't get a yellow card for doing that after the match because he was already on a yellow from the second half. Yeah. So, or actually, you know what? Uh, no, no, no. I'm I'm crossing notes between the two matches. He got a yellow in the second half of the uh, of the yeah. Aston Villa match. <laughs> yeah. <Nope. laughs> yeah. Um, but I do want to because we've talked about referees and cards. So there were two, mm-hmm. arguably more, but we'll start with the two uh, controversial decisions. Um, the first, and I'm very curious to get your thoughts on both of them. The first was the penalty not given for the tackle on Jesus in the box, mm-hmm. uh, where he's essentially sees his uh, foot hooked up, hooked and he goes to the ground in the box, no call, no foul. And then, uh, late in the game, uh, yeah. was bundled into the, under the net for the leveling goal, except not a handball on Kai Havertz. It's painful. Yeah. So which one do you want to talk about first? Um, I, we may as well talk about them chronologically, mm-hmm. I think. Um, the non-penalty call, mm-hmm. I guess at the time, you, you think maybe Jesus went down a little bit easily, and I think the ref was close enough to probably judge that better than us, I think. I, I gave him the benefit of a doubt on that one. It didn't look egregious to me. And if he didn't call it, and then especially if VAR didn't overturn it, mm-hmm. I'm inclined to just say, okay, well, it must have been accept- an acceptable level of contact, I guess. Yeah. I mean, what was your you know, it's, on that one? Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think ultimately, let's put it this way I think I can see why it wasn't given in real time. Jesus does make a meal of the, as they say, makes a meal of the tackle, goes down a bit easily, uh, a little bit of, a little bit theatrically. Um, you know, there there's people talking about that. You know, the old I've seen it given. Like you could see that I, the comment was made that he gets the ball. The defender does get the ball, which doesn't that doesn't do anything for me. Like I get that, but I mean, then we could also throw in. I think there was a. I think it was the Luton game. There was a missed penalty rather late. You know, a guy clattered into one of our players mm. well after the ball went, and so and there was no call there. Mm. Um, you know, as of course not. But um, you know, I, I guess it, it falls into the category for me of. Because they didn't immediately call it on the field, I didn't see enough, even though they looked at it, I didn't see enough to say, yeah, they're giving that one a penalty. I would have been pleasantly surprised had we got the penalty out of that. And yeah. I think that was, I, I, you know, I, I, whether it was the right call or not, I'm still not sure. But, I mean, I guess that sort of goes back to what are we using VAR for? Is it there to get every call exactly right? Or is it there to overturn egregious errors? 
I just can't look at that one and say, man, that is an egregious error that right. has to be that has to be overturned. I, you know, as much as I wanted the penalty there, which which segues well to the second call because that's ultimately how I feel about that one. As soon as I heard the commentators say that the on-field official called handball. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was nothing the VAR was going to find that made that an egregious error, you know, clear mistake. There, there is no way that that was, it, it was just too confusing of a situation to ever call that a mis- like a clear and obvious error, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the, uh, the biggest argument against that call is more along the lines of how does the referee know that's a, like, how did he see a handball there? Uh, right. Because it's obviously in a very tight space. There's a lot of bouncing around and movement. I, I don't know. So part of what happened, you know, is that we talk all the time about the hands and the arms being in a natural position, right? For defenders, like we saw with Saliba, he got a penalty, his hand was right. out, it hit his hand. Even though he wasn't trying, he's more balancing. That's an unnatural position. It hits his hand. That's the rule for defenders. There is no similar rule for offensive players. If it oh. hits his hand, if the referee is a judge that it's hit his hand, then it, then it, he cannot score. Now, apparently I've seen, okay. depending on how you interpret the rule, part of the reason it's called back is, is it's because Havertz scores. If Inkedia, who's also there, is the one who actually puts it in, good goal. Because it was a natural position. Well, because because not because of the natural position, but because when it hits his hand, regardless of what his position is, he cannot score off of that. Oh, okay. okay. And so again, this is an interpret. This is an interpretive thing. So I'm, you know, I admit I'm not. It, the rules are different for attackers than they are for defenders. That's mm-hmm. sort of that's it, there is a double standard there when it comes to those kinds of situations. Right. Um, well, but I guess where I'm coming at it from is just wanting to know how do they define in the circumstance who's an attacker and who's a defender? I mean, is it the team that possesses the ball is all attacking? Because when you've got three players like all in close proximity to the ball, depending on who it bounced off of last, you're in an offensive or defensive position as you try to clear it. Well, no, 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 because no, no. The in this case, because remember, this is only for a play that takes place in the box. If that play happens in the middle of the field, nobody says anything. Okay, right? it's one of those that because of where it is, and at that point, you're 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 two feet from the Aston Villa goal. Yeah, the villa the villa man is the defender. There's no there's no okay. gray area on that because but of Kedia, even located. even without the ball, like in, even if it's bounced yeah. off of the villa player. Is still considered yeah. an attacking player, right? Yeah, so then, right. Yeah, so then it comes down to the scoring player can't have his hand anywhere near the ball, like even if it was unintentional and in right. What, okay, right. And, and again, a lot of it has to do with the sequencing. Again, I I I look at that, and I'm I'm not sure how you call the handball live. Mm-hmm. I I'm skeptical of that. I have to admit, but. Knowing that, and as we're watching it, I mean, of course, we wanted the goal, but obviously, the more they look at it, I mean, does it hit his hand? I I think it might. I'm honestly not quite sure. Looking at it, I could say, from my point of view, it hit his hand. The question is, did it hit it enough? (laughs) Like, did it hit it enough and in a way that it deserves a call of some kind? That, and that's, Mm -hmm. I don't, apparently, I don't even know enough about the rules to really make an educated. Uh, judgment on that. So right, but about it, but but the, but the point is, I think the point is, it, you know, as you're saying, if you think it hits his hand as the attacking player, yeah, it's a handball. So yeah, yeah I, in a sense, for me, it's it was not so much for me. It was a question of it whether or not it really did. Um, it was slight. It was slight, but I could kind of see it. it. It does make you wonder how the ref got there because I mean, it's not like yeah. one of these. Most of the time, when it's an obvious handball where the crowd all yells at once, it's because right. the ball's going up and it suddenly goes down. And there's only there's a couple a, ways that that could happen, right? Yeah, there's a clear deflection, and yeah. for those those are weird because obviously our angle is so different. We're up in the stands, so yeah. we're looking at it. You know, whereas of course when they were on the field, those things look a little bit more obvious. But yeah, like the ball moving in like with a bend instead of like a parabola, right? Like right, obviously. It, it has a corner in the, in its motion. Right, obviously. <laughs> and obviously you can see deflections and change of direction, of course. Yeah. Um, I, I understand a lot of frustration. I felt a lot of frustration. You know, I it's always it's, it's interesting that we record these, you know, at least a day, in this case, uh, two days after the game, sometimes a day after for the Sunday games. Um. You know, for me, 
I looked at that at the time I was I was displeased with the call. <laughs> uh but sort of the more you go back and go, okay, I see why they did it. And you know, Arteta was very Arteta was very careful in his post game comments. He, you know, kind of grits his teeth. He kept saying clear and obvious. <laughs> yeah. Um which obviously given the circumstances, he's being very careful. With what he says, <laughs> yeah, especially he was already in a touchline band, which is, right, which is which is the right, which I understand why I understand why, and I think you know it's always a weird thing, be, you know. I was thinking about this because they're having this. Uh, so Ars Blog, who's the kind of the you know the the one of the leading figures in this kind of Arsenal fan, you know, following uh, you know report, blogging podcasting space. You know, it, it's sort of been on this kick in the last couple of days about how it creates this sort of environment of of fear that, you know, we can't be critical of the referees because we worry about this kind of thing. But I'm sort of thinking about it, you know, you think about where these comments come from. They come usually from the immediate aftermath of the game. Like, right after the game's over, emotions are high. I mean, look, the thing, I forget the things I said during the game, even some of the things I said in sort of the few minutes after the game, before I before I left, and, you know, paying out my tab and all that before I, I left, left the bar. <laughs> you know, there, there, there are things that you sort of say in the heat of the moment which, you know, on a careful reflection, maybe you wouldn't have, or maybe you'd be able to say or frame in a way that would be, I guess I'd say a little bit more productive in terms of potentially like, you know, getting, you know, changing the way these things done, as opposed to they come out in this environment where, you know, managers are, these are very competitive individuals who are, you know, deeply involved in this and, and feeling the emotions of the game. I mean, we were called joking that, like, at some point in the, at some point before the game's over, over Arteta is going to just rip his seat out of the out of the stands <laughs> at Villa Park. He's just just white knuckling it the whole time, mm-hmm. um, you know. And to to ask in that moment, well, what did you think about the refereeing? Oh, I got thoughts. But you take a moment of reflection, take an hour or two, or even another day, and it's kind of mm-hmm. you might be able to frame it in a way that's a little more. Um, you know, Arsene Wenger was always famous for every time one of his players, would, you know, picked up a foul or a card or something nasty. He was sort of famous for his response. Oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> Not in the sense of like, oh, I don't think it was a foul. Going, oh, oh, he did that. Oh, I, I didn't see that. I was I was looking somewhere else. <laughs> oh, he did. Huh? Oh, I don't know. No, no. Doesn't that doesn't sound like him? That's clever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course, the French accent. Oh, I did not. I did not see it. Um, I do think I, I will say though the one that bothered me. Uh, was the the yellow to Carlos uh, um, after yeah. elbowing Eddie and Kenny in the face? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I find most of the explanation explaining that one away to be. Uh, I find those unconvincing. I you, it should have been red. He look to me. He looks at Inkedia. They're way off the ball. I have. I don't blame the referee for not calling it on the field. He's obviously it's a different part of the field. It's away from the ball. He's looking at the ball. Yeah, totally fine. Right, There's no, right. I, that's not a criticism of the officials there. But having watched it on the replay, I'm sorry, he takes a swing at it. Yeah, we talk about getting this kind of violent conduct out of the game, which I am all for. I don't want to see guys getting elbowed in the face. I don't want to see it. I don't want our guys doing it. I don't want them. I, you know, and maybe you're gonna, and and this is one of those where maybe you're gonna catch a couple of guys who are just being careless as opposed to being deliberate. But I'm not bothered by that. You know, mm. if you elbow a guy in the face, I, I uh, that to me is just, that was, that's the one I'm just really sort of bothered by. Yeah, I can um, see that. And again, we, you know, uh, we weren't particularly good in stoppage time. It looked like we kind of ran out of gas by that point. I mean, we had more of the possession. We were kind of in dangerous positions. But again, throughout the rest of the game, you know, early on, our passing was a little bit off. We talked about the offside trap, even in the, you know, it, it just... At the end of the day, I know all the talks about officiating, but really, end of the day, and, and Arteta said this too, we did not take our chances. We needed to convert those opportunities. We didn't do that. Yeah. And, you know, it, we, we I, I cannot sit here and say, you know, Arteta said we should have won based on the way we played. We dominated the game. We generated most of the opportunities, but we didn't convert. And that's, you know, I don't think that's a, I don't think it's a crisis or a long-term problem. Mm-hmm. I'm not sitting here saying to myself, oh no, the challenge is over. We're ruined. But I do think... You know, I, 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 sort of like with the Luton game, had we not come up with that late goal, I'd have still walked away saying, you know, points lost, but man, we just keep playing like that and we're going to be fine. I think if we keep playing for the most part like we did of the Villa game, 
obviously with a little bit better finishing. I think as long as we keep playing like that and keep putting pressure on the opposition, mm-hmm. I think we're going to be okay. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's annoying. Villa is very good at home. That is a tough, we've now, it's that's sort of been established. That is a tough place to go. Villa is very good at home. They are not very good on the road. Uh, and they still get to come to the Emirates. So <laughs> we'll see them in N5. <laughs> we'll see. We will see. We will see you in London. Old, old friend, old friend. <laughs> so who would you call for player of the week across these matches? And given that you watch more of the Aston Villa match, it's fine if, if you lean that way. Yeah, I, but I, I guess part of the problem with the Villa game is I didn't walk away. I didn't walk away feeling like, man, one of our players really put in a good good shift today. But I also <laughs> yeah. didn't walk out of that game. And, and I can be critical about te- particular players at particular moments. By and large, I didn't think anybody walked away from that one saying, like, right. you know, wow, he was poor today. I mean, even I mean, there was some poor defending in the build up to the goal. But honestly, like, yeah, you can't single anyone out. You know, I'm gonna say Declan Rice. Uh, okay. You know, the the goal was huge. I thought he was fine against Villa. I thought I thought a lot of our players were fine. I'm going to say Declan Rice again. I think I think the goal against Luton, you know, to 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 get us the result there. I think you could yes. throw in Kai Havertz, who was dangerous. All who was dangerous, uh, obviously coming on, helped change the Luton game. Uh, was dangerous in a lot of ways against Villa, including the the, the tying goal that wasn't. But I'll say Declan Rice for for winning for winning the, the game in Luton. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely inclined toward Rice. That was such a key goal and such a key moment, executed well. But I think I'm finally ready to actually give it to Havertz. I think he's had a good run. He'd scored in, I think, three consecutive matches before nobody from Arsenal scored against Villa. Um, he's had a good run. He almost he came closest to scoring <laughs> against Villa. And he's contributed to other goals. I think he's coming into his comfort zone a little bit with Arsenal. And I'm here for it, and I'm ready to call it for him for this week so that's fair and there, there was an interest there was an interesting interview i'll see if i can find it the athletic last week did an interview with uh Jorginho, and one of the things mm. he said was and i'm gonna butcher the exact quote was something to the effect of uh if you if you uh if you like if you like football then you love kai havertz mm. like he just talks about all the things he does like there's a, clearly a lot of respect for him amongst other players which i mm. always think is interesting sort of get a sense from players. A lot of their opinions sort of reflect a lot of stuff fans say, but there's always those kind of interesting opinions they hold. Like there's clearly something they, you know, got when the guys are in the field, there's something they see that, right. you know, when you're not playing or you're not in the locker room that you just don't see. And so it's kind of curious to get their perspective on that. Not to simply say that, well, he's a player. He's obviously right. But, but just, to, <laughs> it's an in, it's interesting to sort of get that perspective from other players, especially when like Jorginho, who's a, He's certainly a very smart player. Um, yeah, know, as a, as a good appreciation for all the different things that have to happen on the field. So that's kind of like the difference between the Academy Awards and like the People's Choice Awards or something. You know, you get a different perspective on on mm-hmm. the competition and who's involved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's coming up for next week? Uh, next week, we sort of close out this stretch of two games a week. Uh, Tuesday, our final Champions League group stage game against uh, PSV Eindhoven. Uh, we're away to PSV, so a nice trip to the Netherlands. I expect to see a heavily rotated side because this game does not matter. We have won the group. That's it. Yep. There is nothing more to be yep. said about that. Um, we've won the group, and... Um, uh, yeah, I expect to see. I'll be curious to see how much rotation Arteta does because you could easily see a lot of youth players being brought in. But you kind of don't want. It is still the Champions League. It is still going to be. <laughs> it is. I, I know of it is. We, we saw we we lost there last year in Europa League. It's it's right. a tough place to go. It's a tough test for you know some some teenager, some youth player. But I would not be surprised to see a few guys who haven't played a lot. You probably see the aforementioned Jorginho, Jakub Kivior. Um, he's been playing a little bit. Um, you, you probably see a few more of those guys. You might see one or two of the youth, the youth players as well. I expect, I, I, you know, fingers crossed Ramsdale, Ramsdale deserves a Champions League game. You know, for yeah. all the work he did to get us in there, I feel like yeah. he deserves that's, an opportunity at least to, to play on that stage. But we'll see how Arteta treats that. Uh, because then Sunday, the weekend, uh, real big one, uh, home against Brighton. I say a big one. Brighton has, Brighton plays us very well at the Emirates. They are, they're a good team. They're not a great one. They're, you know, not, uh, they're, they're not a team that, uh, is, they're, they're, uh, hold the league table here. Where are they? They are currently, bum, 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 uh, currently sitting in eighth, uh, but just, um, just, uh, three, you know, a point behind Manchester United in sixth. So they are, 
they're not a bad team. They qualified for Europe last year. Um, they're they're right in the mix for a European spot again. They do a great job of recognizing you know recognizing talent and selling it for a boatload of money. Um, except Trossard, uh, we got him, we got him relatively cheap. But uh, yeah, that's a dangerous one. They have a very good record of the last couple. I think the last I think it beat us at least the last two times at the Emirates. So that's a team we cannot afford to overlook, especially after having dropped the Villa game uh, because of course lurking. Next weekend, the following weekend, just to look ahead, is, is, as we said, a trip to Anfield. That's on uh, the 23rd, so Christmas Eve, Eve, uh-huh. um, heading into the holidays. One other note, though, uh, we record, we'll obviously talk about this next week, but we record on Monday evenings. Uh, next Monday, presumably more in the middle of the day, will be the draw for the knockout stages for the Champions League. So we will learn who we're going to play in February and March uh, that day, and I don't know when or where that is. Uh, when it's going to happen exactly during the day and where that's going to be necessarily televised, but keep an eye on that because that's that's yeah. a fun one to see. That's I remember I I tried to find the Champions League group draw and I I couldn't, <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, it usually winds up being about the middle. Those draws usually always end up being about the middle of the day in Europe, which is like right when I wake up. So you know, <laughs> usually I wake up and oh, you know, pull up my browser and oh, here's your Champions League group. Right. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So as mentioned, the PSV match is going to be on Paramount Plus, and Brighton is going to be on the USA Network, which means mm-hmm. if you want to watch it live, it's either on USA or in the NBC Sports app. Uh, if you want to watch it in Peacock, you need to wait 24 hours till the next day to, for that replay to stream. So. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. One of those places where we are is YouTube. So if you haven't checked that out, please do. I think you'll enjoy watching us as well as hearing us. And if you check us out on YouTube, give us a like, give us a subscribe. If you listen to the podcast, uh, give us a rating. We could uh, use those to help us find new listeners. That's always appreciated. To support the show even more, of course, you can become a Gunu Yu super fan for ad-free episodes and bootleg recordings available the night we record. It's only a dollar a month, and there's a link in the show notes to join. Thanks again to our sponsor, Liquid IV. You can find them in uh, in with a special link in our description, you can use code Gooner, G-O-O-N-E-R at checkout at liquidiv.com. And you can follow our show on Twitter at Gooner You Show for updates and ask questions. Again, my name is Dove. You can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches after he finishes grading his term papers. Go, you gunners. <laughs>